very good. Very good. Thanks for that, Roger. I was, I was bang on. I was bang on, have to admit. Um, yeah, before I get started, I want to. <laughs> there's a funny story happened to me yesterday, funny incident, and I hope you are proud of me for this. I hope, really do hope you are proud of me. So, in the car rental place, obviously, and uh, rent a car, and handed over my card. I was fine. We got talking. Next thing, she drops her car. She she drops my card, and I goes, "Oh, sorry about that." And she was like, "What? Are you Canadian? Why did you apologize for something that I did? Are you." Okay, weird. But anyway, so I hope you're proud of me for that there. I feel Canadian, I really do. I really do feel Canadian. So, <laughs> that video, we don't really talk like that, do we? Do we, Clarice? No, exactly. And please don't just trail off and leave. Please stay. Please stay. Please stay. Um, yeah, so as you've guessed, from Northern Ireland, from or Ireland, um, Northern Ireland is a country in Ireland. It's slightly strange, but... But we do exist, we do exist, and I got talking a couple of weeks ago to a couple of people, a couple of friends from here, Jason and and, and uh, Grant, really, about the population area of the GTA, and I found out it's like 6.8 million people live in the GTA, and they asked me how many people live in Northern Ireland, and I was like, oh, flip, um, I don't know, four, maybe? I don't know. So I looked it up, and it came to, <laughs> well, it came to disappointing, like, two million so 2 million people live in Northern Ireland, yet you have 6.8 million living in this GTA bit. Like, it's just, it still blows my mind just to think how massive Canada is, just how, just how fast it is, and it's incredible. Um, so another wee bit of background about Northern Ireland, about, well, about me growing up, really. Um, sectarianism, it's a big thing over home, big thing back home in Northern Ireland and in Scotland. So that's why a lot of people get us mixed up with Scottish people, isn't that right, Roger? Yeah, he tries to do his best Scottish accent, but doesn't really work. Not really close. But uh, yeah, so this sectarianism is kind of between Protestants and Catholics. And it's a bit boring, to be honest, but the Catholics kind of want to take over the country of Northern Ireland because the English came over and stole it from the Irish. And then the Scottish kind of came in and joined there and... That is really where I am from. So I'm kind of a mix between like a Scottish slash Northern Irish person. But that's kind of the breakdown. And over here, it's brilliant because I get to leave that all behind. I get to leave all that division behind. And it's brilliant because you just don't fight with one another. You just apologize to one another and you just move on. Sorry about that. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for saying sorry. So, so yeah. Um <laughs> so having that bit of background about the whole Catholics and Protestants, right? Growing up, right, I was never allowed to mingle with Catholics. It was because I came up in a Protestant home, and I was never allowed to talk to them. Um, the only time I was allowed to talk to them was in church or in school, and so it was a bit strange growing up like this here. And I met up with my friend last summer, okay, and he's a Catholic, and I met up with him last summer. And met up over coffee because Christians, that's what we do. And we talk over it, over coffee, and we talk things out. And we just started talking, just started talking. Next thing, he comes off of this joke. He just goes, How do you spot a vegan? And I was like, Oh, don't worry. He goes, oh, Don't worry, they'll tell you. And I was like, Oh, okay, not bad, not bad. I thought I'd be funnier. I'd take it to next level. I'll up the game here. And I said, So, did you hear about the magic tractor? 
And he's like, no. He's like, oh, t- uh, went down the road and turned into a field. And he was all like, ah, okay, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. But uh, so then me being me, I normally take it a step further. I normally always go across a line, not proverbial line where you always say, oh, he just went and crossed it. Oh, it's just too far. Well, I'm the guy who goes across that full on. And I said to him, so did you hear, um, did you, how do you spot a Catholic? And I was like, and he was like, I don't know. I was like, their eyes are close together. And I was like, exactly. Your reaction is the same reaction my friend said to me, well, gave to me. And I was like, do you not get that there? Do you not get that there? And um, so growing up, the whole idea between me thinking a Catholic was, had his eyes closed together or her eyes closed together, it was, it was just a common thing. We grew up thinking that, oh, that's a Catholic there. His eyes are closed together or her eyes are closed together. And like, oh, or else, or else like, they smell funny, you know? <laughs> or else they have like a rat's tail. A rat's tail, yeah, there. Like I always thought a Catholic, I would always spot a Catholic if they had like a rat's tail or else if I looked and their eyes were closed together. This is so bad, I really am sorry, guys. But <laughs> this is just how I was brought up. And um, so whenever I said this joke to him, I got that reaction and it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad, but I really did think that if I went into the police station and was told to, right, spot the Catholic in this lineup, I'd be like, ah, easy. Who is he? Let me see their eyes. Just, just show me their eyes and that'll be it. I don't need to smell them, just their eyes. But, but obviously, that is not how it's done. That's not how it's done. So talking again with my friend and he goes, funny you should mention that there about you spotting Catholics' eyes because yeah, that's how we spotted Protestants. That's how we spotted you guys. And I was like, no way. It's like, yeah, we thought the exact same about you. that like, your eyes were close together. All that there's a Protestant there. And I was like, Oh my word. So both of us growing up, Catholics and Protestants growing up, thinking that this is how we spot one another is with our eyes close together. And it is such a total myth. <laughs> and it's not how you spot either of us. My eyes aren't close together. And a lot of my friends who are Catholics, their eyes aren't close together. But I always thought this is how I noticed them. This is how I knew them. Okay, And you're probably thinking, like, what does this have to do with the Bible? What does this have to actually do with... Um, with my sermon and it's all about um, before I came over here I got a message from Raja saying that <laughs> one of the young people and um, one of the kids Greer actually said uh, um, if he's a leprechaun I think he should bring a pot of gold over and share it with the church and I was <laughs> so whenever I heard this here and I was like oh my word the stereotypes were true stereotypes are true they're probably going to they're probably going to think of me coming in with a bottle of like a brown bag just drinking out of a drink, drinking out of this whiskey bottle and coming in staggering about with potatoes hanging out of me or whatever but um but yeah so Greer actually said this here and so he said that he said that to me before he actually met me he assumed this but after he met me he said oh Craig you're my idol you're my idol I want to be like you but um but yeah he actually did and he actually didn't he was just talking about cars he was and etc but um but before he knew me he assumed this of me, that I would be a leprechaun. And if I was a leprechaun, I'd have a wee pot of gold and, uh, to bring over and to share with the church. Share with the church. And the same goes with all of us. We all make assumptions before we get to know the person, before we get to see what their heart is like. So I expected Catholics to all have squints and Protestants, and the Catholics expected us to have squints. But that is not how you spot a Catholic, it's not how I spot a Protestant, it's not how I get to know somebody by just their outward appearance. And to get to know somebody is to know their heart, is to see their behaviours. 
for, and if I was to look into somebody's heart, say for Raja, for instance, like I would see wings, hot sauce, and God. <laughs> that is what I would see in Raja's heart. But I know Raja more than that there. I don't really, because that is all he actually talks about is wings, hot sauce, God. But, um, but his behaviours are quite different. But this is the thing. Through, it's not through the behaviours we get to see. It is through behaviours we get to see who people actually are. It's from their hearts. Their hearts overflow. Their, your behaviours is an overflow of what your heart is. And this is what I want to try and get to. I'm going to share a bit of my story. A um, bit of my story before and after I was saved. A bit of a spoiler alert there. But... Um, just hopefully you can kind of distinguish, like just kind of see the transformation from my behavior before and my behavior after I was saved. And hopefully you can just pick up on this and actually notice for yourself. Um, so where I'm going to be speaking out of is Ephesians 4 and 5. I'm going to be jumping between a bit of them. Um, Ephesians 4 talks about the new life, old life and new life, two complete distinctions of life and how to live them and and Ephesians 5 kind of talks on and touches on how our expectations of how we should live those lives. And so just keep that in mind. If you, if you want to turn now, you can turn now to them. But um, I'll, I'll be touching on them a wee bit later on. So my story. So as you know, grew up Protestant home. Um, didn't have a squint in my eyes. Um, grew up with my sister. Grew up with my mom. Didn't have a dad, but my mom had a boyfriend. So I always had that kind of father figure there and um, it was good it was good he's um so grew up this Protestant home went to church went to a Protestant church down the road from us and went there because my granny and granda went there so my mom decided right let's go church is good for you let's go um so that was fine went there and continued to grow up in the church and (laughs) it's funny hearing stories of how I used to act when I was a kid and just before I went to Canada they were saying a couple of people came up and goes oh Craig I remember you sitting up in that gallery just being a wee terror and just throwing stuff down from the balcony down on people and I was like oh no really is this a compliment here with a backhand or what like <laughs> but um, they said oh look how you've grown up now now you're going off to Canada oh it's brilliant it's great to see you see you later <laughs> and I was like right okay nice to talk to you too but it's just funny to see how, when I was younger, I used to, other people thought I was a terror, but I didn't think I was a terror. I was just being a kid. I was just being a standard, like, four, five, six-year-old, just throwing stuff off balconies and all. But that's just kind of the culture back there. But um, if you want to know more about that, talk to me after. Um, yeah, so growing up in church, um, started to go to BB, started getting involved in Boys Brigade. Do you have Boys Brigade over here? No? Boys Brigade? Ah, uh, okay. It's a bit like the Scouts. So it's a bit like the Scouts, but you don't learn knots and go camping. It's kind of marching and the Bible and sport, really. Um, so, yeah, um, went to BB, started, so whenever I got older, started to go to youth club. Our youth club was only for first years up, so like grade 8 or grade 9 and on, onwards to 18. And so growing up, started getting involved in church and I started filling in more start fitting in with people and I started acting in a certain way just to just to kind of fit in with this whole church culture this whole nice to meet you how pleasant it is oh the weather's lovely etc how are you oh, that's great see you later and um, just that kind of shallow behavior you get in some churches 
and growing up and reflecting on this, I kind of lived like a fake Christian. I kind of lived um, as just as somebody to fit in, so nobody, so I could go and hang out with people, so I could go and just fit in, mainly for my mum's sake, because my mum always wanted me to grow up in the church. Oh, you'll be a good Christian boy, etc. We'll get that evil idea, etc. You'll get that terror idea. But um, <laughs> so, so partly it was because I had pressure from my mum to grow up into this good Christian boy, you know, and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I have done that, but, um, but maybe your time here with me says different. Um, so yes, yeah, so it didn't really act like a Christian. It wasn't myself. My behavior was fake. How I behaved was fake. It wasn't the true me. If it was the true me, I would probably wouldn't be anywhere near church, to be honest. I wouldn't want to go out to church. I just found it boring. But my mum, thankfully, and I love her for it, just how she actually did just drag me out every Sunday. Every Sunday, just try to, no matter what excuse I gave, she just shot it down, dragged me out, threw cereal down my mouth, threw me out, and that was it. So I am thankful. So in a sense, I don't know, do you have Carling beer over here? Yeah, have you seen those adverts where they do, right? So I'm not endorsing alcohol here, by the way, or I'm not wanting any alcohol or whatever, but this Carling advert I saw it the other day, and he does a trick shot. All these shots, balls go in everywhere. And next thing, the guy comes back with two pints of Carling, and he's like, oh, oh, looks. Everything goes in, and then white just kind of slow, slowly, and it goes, just drops in. And he's like, ah, it's good, but it's just not Carling. And in a sense, that was what I was like, is like, uh, your life, it's, it's good, but it's not quite Christian. It's not quite Christian. So I pretended to set, accept Jesus as I grew up in the church just to fit in. And they didn't really challenge me on that. They just assumed I was a Christian because of how I acted. But inside of me, it was fake. Inside of me, I just wanted out. Inside of me, I just didn't want anything to do with it because it just wasn't me. And it was just, it was hurting. And But thankfully, this is where... <laughs> But thankfully, I kept at it. My mum kept me at it. And thankfully, I saw the light, <laughs> so to speak. Um, it was through my friend Ben, one of my best friends. Um, he he introduced me to other friends. So he became a Christian. He introduced me to these other friends. And it was something that I always yearned yearn for, was uh, was more friends around me. I just wanted, because growing up in school, I never really had true friends. Again, it was just a place where I acted fake just to fit in. And never really had true and proper friends. But with Ben, he introduced me to all these other ones. And it was incredible. It was incredible. It was something that I just wanted. I just wanted this true friendship. This friendship that I can rely on. I can go to. I can talk with. Someone who can build me up and just hear me whenever I'm hurting. And and the thing with Ben, what got me to, to look at myself was his transformation. Was his transformation, for example, um, he's he's very artsy, and before he was a Christian, he his room was all painted black, or it was all painted orange, and a different. He had some designs on it, and at the back of his room, above his above his bed, was like <laughs> silhouettes of women, two women on either side, basically. And yeah, okay, I'll, I'll just leave it there. So he had these <laughs> these images up on his wall, but afterwards, he literally, after he became a Christian, he literally just got the paintbrush out and just painted all over it, painted everything black and he started doodling on his wall things for God, different Bible verses, different scriptures and um, different pictures to sum up scripture and every time I went into his room one picture always stood out to me and he always joked about me saying, ah Craig, you're not really a Christian are you? And I said, this is just Northern Ireland banter um, 
and just kind of slagging somebody but actually meaning it and hoping that they don't cry in front of you but they cry when they go to sleep and um and he always kept saying this to me and I was like hi oh, yeah I am I am and all but but this picture always stayed in my head and it always just jumped out at the wall and it was a picture of a thermometer and it had like hot here cold here as a thermometer it is and in between it has look warm and I, I asked him what it what what is that about? And he just goes, he just said, um, in Revelation, I think Jesus says to the people, at the, the churches, that you don't want to be lukewarm, either be hot or be cold. Don't be lukewarm. And immediately it hit me, like, that is what I was doing. I was being a lukewarm Christian. I was being, I wasn't someone who was fully committed to it. I wasn't someone who wasn't fully out of it. I was just at that line. I was at zero, basically. I was just a lukewarm Christian and I was just in my behavior. And I saw that in my behavior. So he introduced me to these friends, and I went to a manifest gig. Not the rapper, by the way. Um, from over here, he is, yeah, he's bad. And um, went to this manifest gig, a band playing, youth groups coming together and worshiping God. How awesome! And the friend I was at Ben introduced this friend called Dave again. He's my best friend now. And halfway through the service, he just said, "Craig, I want to pray for you." And I was like. Right, okay, sure. If he wants to pray for me, then right, let's do it. So he started praying, and he started calling this all out of me, saying, um, I just pray for that he, that he realize that, that who he is, that he isn't who he is actually acting like. He isn't the guy who he thinks he is, and um, and that he could. And he started praying all this here stuff, and it just came to me, and just like, I was like, oh my word, how does he know me like this here? How does he know me? And because I only knew him for a couple of weeks, and then he was calling this all out of me, and I was like, how on earth? And like then, then I just started bawling my eyes out. Just started bawling my eyes out in the middle, and I just realised how fake I was. Just how fake I was, and the life I was living was just so fake. And shortly after this manifest gig, so roughly like probably late teens, um, I finally got what it was, what it meant to be a Christian. You know, I finally understood what grace was about, what redemption, what mercy and love was about, what sacrifice and devotion, and who God actually was. And the thing is, it's. It's all about God. It wasn't about me. I tried to fit in. I tried to do this. I is me, me, me. But the field came off and I saw God, basically. I saw that, okay, this is actually all about someone else. It's all about God. And there's a kid's book, a Jesus, uh, Jesus Bible story book. And it's all stories what whisper Jesus' name. So that's a tagline. Every story whispers Jesus' name. And when I've came here, when I've been here, um, stories have been kind of my thing. Um, I just I just love hearing people's stories. I love telling my story. I haven't told that many times, but I love telling it, and I love hearing your stories as well. And there's power in those stories. Since then, I've been, <laughs> I've my life has changed. I've been able to lead a team to Romania, um, young people. Like who would who would trust me with their kids to go to flip in Romania? But I went to Romania with these kids, these about fifteen of them. And um, and I've been on a couple of internships. I've been to Philippines with my church to build the church, and now I'm here in Canada. Now I'm here in Canada talking to you guys about God and about my life. So hopefully you've picked up on my behaviours of before and after. Hopefully you just can that can resonate with you in in some way. Maybe not the exact same way, and that's fine. But maybe in some some certain ways, on how you are acting and then the new life to the old life or old life to new life. Yeah, so in Ephesians 5, it says this, the first, the first first, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So as I read this, I was like, right, obviously, therefore, I was like, okay, what's it there for? So look back into chapter 4, and 
chapter 4, verse 17 to 19, and it talks about the old life. And this is what it says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have come, become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. So the old life, the old life is about the futility of their own minds, darkening their understanding and alienated from the life of God because they were ignorant due to their hardness of heart, surrendered themselves to earthly pleasures. And I don't know about you, I don't know if that resonates with you, if you have been thinking that, oh, I can do it myself, just thinking in your head, yeah, I can do it myself, oh, that's fine, I don't, I don't need to go to church, I don't need to be a part of this community, it's fine, I can just go to church, I can, just, I, I can do it myself, I can do it myself. Or maybe the whole earthly pleasure stuff. Maybe that is, has a grasp on you. Maybe that is what's holding you back. Maybe you're looking for a better job, better paid job, better job with benefits, a better job that comes with a house and a car and a family or, or just trying to accumulate money, whatever. Paul then goes on to say in verse 20, 20 to 24, he says this, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to be put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness of holiness, the true righteousness and holiness. Paul holds him accountable to his actions. Just how Ben used to say to me, ah, you're not really a Christian. You're not really a Christian, are you? Are you? And all this here. And, and reflecting on it, I wasn't. And he held me accountable to who, how I was behaving. He brings their actions into the light where Paul and themselves can see what they are doing is wrong. Not the life that God wants them to live and how they were alienated from the life of God. So this old life, it's common practice for everybody today, I think, that it's not living for that, if you're not living for Christ. Use me as an example. My story hopefully portrayed two lives, one without God, one with God. One life that I ended, one life that had begun, and one that was dead and one is alive. Paul says in verses 20 to 24, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He's telling us here that, is, that even Christians, that even us, like we slip, we fall. We fall back into that old way of life. No matter how hard we try, we will always slip up. We will always fall back into how we used to behave. But the thing is, we are to be like Christ. If we are in Christ, we are to put away our old self and to put on our new self. Just how my friend Ben was living, as I said to him, how his behavior kind of changed. His room, for example, was all, about, it was all this. But now it changed all these pictures of God, all these verses scribbled on it, all these pictures drawn out. And I want to ask you, like, have you seen a difference in your lives? Have you seen a difference in your behaviours? Have you seen a difference in other people's behaviours? So Paul advises us, since we are in Christ, that we should live a certain way. It's to speak truth, unity in Christ, forgive others, clean talk, build each other up, Show grace, all because Christ forgave us. 
We are to live this new life based on our identity, our identity that is in Christ. So this is why I had to go back from Ephesians 5. So therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. So therefore be imitators of God. We are to imitate God. Like how hard is that to do? Like how can we imitate God? Can we speak a thought and it become reality? Can we speak creation into existence? Can I speak, can I create something out of nothing? I can't, we can't. So this is what puzzled me. Like, like, like how bold of a statement to begin with. Like, it's just incredible. Like, we can't, like, I was at a conference and I heard about the story of two Syrians with Muslim backgrounds and, and they became Christians. They, the, the, the guy saw Jesus in his vision and, and now they're over in Canada. So they are doing God's work. Like, it's incredible. Like, I can never do that to somebody. Like, only God can do that. It's just incredible. So I read and read Ephesians 5 and, and it kind of jumped out at me what you're trying to get at with the, this imitators. So Paul gives, so in verses 1 to 8, Paul gives us three identities. First identity is be imitators. Second is saints. And third is children of God. So why has Paul told us who we are? Why did he give us these identities, these titles? Well, as I prayed about it and read it, it's kind of links in with Ephesians 4, the old life and new life. It's to help us understand who we are. It's, all, it's to help us understand who we are. Then we know, so if we know who we are, then we know how to act accordingly. If we know who we are, if we know who we are, our identity, then we know what is expected of us. And if we know what is expected of us, we know what our expectations are. And in turn, we then know how to behave and act accordingly. So if you're a Christian, then our behavior is to glorify Christ in all that we do. So for example, um, if you work in a shop, so say Starbucks, for, exa- for, for example, in Starbucks, you are to serve, make drinks and write the proper names on the drink cup and not to slag an Irish guy's accent. You know, that is what you're meant to do. You're not meant to, you're not meant to slag this guy off, but you do if you want. That's okay. That's fine. But, um, but you have a set rules. You set standard into, for the company to fulfill that role in that company. And the same goes for us. We are to know what is expected of us so we can glorify God. It is vital that we understand who we are in God's eyes. There's the thing, like, I didn't understand who I was, hence why my behavior was so fake. If our behavior then reflects our expectations, we must look at who we're imitating or who we should imitate. As a church, one of, our, one of your values is community. Are you behaving in a way that stands out, not as individuals, but as a team, as a tribe, as a community of believers and non-believers? So the question is for you guys, who are you imitating? Does your behavior match up to who you're imitating? Or does it not match up to who you're supposed to imitate? Does your behavior match up to Christ? So another story about me growing up. I'm a soccer fan. I love Liverpool and Stevie G was my idol. And going out, every time Stevie G walks out, he kind of walks you just can't really see this, but he kind of walks out with his feet kind of like out there. So he's kind of walking out like out there. So every football game I went to and I played in, I always walked out like this here. So I was like, well, I just kind of copied his behavior, how he walked, just walking like this here. Just walked like that. And that is what I try to do every day, just every time I play football, just to imitate Stevie G, just to imitate and hopefully become as good as him. But obviously I wasn't that good because <laughs> I'm here preaching the word. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so Ephesians 5, 3-8, it reads this. I'm going to read it from the Bible. I love reading from the Bible. I'm going to read it. 
So, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. There's our identity. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let it be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, or impure, or who is covetous, covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. So Paul is telling us here how to behave. If we have these titles of imitators, of saints, of children of God, or children of light, we are to act in a certain way. We have an expectation to live up to. And it is the thing, when I read that, like those high expectations are high. They are massive. They are, like, you just can't, you just can't live those expectations out to the full. And this is the reason. And the reason is because we are sinful. It's it's hard to admit that. It's hard to admit. I, I didn't want to admit that I was sinful. How could I be sinful? This good Christian boy growing up in a church and acting in and fitting in with everybody. I, I was good. I was good. I was not one. There's no ounce of sin in me, but... But as I grew and I kept reading the Bible and my friends kept talking to me, I realized that I was. I realized more and more how sinful I actually am. And St. Patrick of Ireland, like he starts off his biography, he starts off his, his, uh, his book saying, I, Patrick, a sinner. Like, even he admitted that he was a sinner. Not, he didn't do anything beforehand. He just admitted that I, Patrick, a sinner. But there's the thing. Paul's highlighted how, Ephesians, how the Ephesians slipped up. And he held them accountable. He held them accountable to walk in the way of Christ in truth. So we will feel, yes, but the thing is we'll also succeed. We also have victory. And I feel a lot of sermons kind of focus on the sinful condition of our hearts. We preachers just love getting up and being holier than now and saying, how sinful you are. Oh, you are all sinful. Repent now. Repent. Change your heart. Change your, your sinful heart. Like, why would you want to sit through that? You can't. I hated that there. I hated that. Hated being called how sinful I was. But the thing is, it's good to be reminded of that. It's good to be reminded so we don't um, fall back into a nice behavior or like uh, we fall back into a comfort. Um, so just like Paul reminded the Ephesians, we need to... Remind them to just keep pushing, push through that pain, push through that the behavior that you're acting in, push through that there and try and focus your eyes on God. Focus your eyes on him and focus your heart on him and your behavior will flow from your heart. And that's the beauty of, of it all is that Christ, is, Christ has already met those expectations for us and whenever we fall, we go to him, we can go to him and, and we can say how sorry we are, we can apologize for not living up to his standards. And that's fine because he loves us. He shows us grace every time we do it. He shows us mercy every time. And that's what I, it's one of those things I just love. I just love. No matter how messed up you can be, no matter what you've done, God is still there for you. Jesus is still there for you. So as I conclude, I just want to draw your attention to what the psalmist writes in chapter 
119, and it's verse 112. says this, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever till the end. Nice, nice and simple. It's good. Um, reading this again, thinking, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever till the end. I incline my heart. The psalmist needed to incline his heart, which meant that his heart was not in that inclined position in the first place. His heart must have been in a reclined position. So think of it like a reclined chair. You sit back, you're sitting nice and proper watching TV, and then you get more tired, pull it out, back. You start going back, start to recline. Next thing you know, your legs are up, and you've probably spilt whatever drink you have here because you've just fallen asleep. So you're nice and relaxed. You're in a comfortable position. And this is the thing that we need to keep on coming back to that inclined position. We need to incline our hearts to God. We need to get out of that comfortable zone that we're in, in that reclined position. We do it all the time. It's fine. We do. I do. But the thing is, we need to get back to that inclined position where we're sitting up proper and sitting, and we are sitting in the right position. So our hearts are in that right position for God, to honor God, to glorify God. And if our hearts are in that right position, then our behavior will flow from that. Funny just how we just go through these peaks and troughs, don't we? These ups and downs of our behaviour. One day we're on fire for God and then the next day we're feeling guilty over the smallest of things and we just don't feel worthy enough. But the thing is, to we need to incline our hearts like the psalmist did. We need to incline our hearts through prayer. Incline our hearts toward, towards God and his ways. We need to confess our sin on a daily basis. We need to confess or send to people, to others, to your friends, to carry each other's burdens, to carry each other's loads. But the thing is, our hearts will always wander to that reclaim position. But again, we need to humbly come before God, come before Jesus every day and ask him to incline our hearts to him. Ephesians 5, verse 11 to 21. I love this passage. I, I, like, when you really stumbled upon it whenever doing this talk, and, and I love it. I love it. It says this. So verse 11 says this. So take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when, when, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, learn how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So our expectations, they're, they're high. They're high. But our expectations, like how we go about it, we should not, we should not think of a negative thing and oh, I must do this. I have to do this. But more of a, I need to do this. I want to do this. It's a choice. It's a simple choice. And having the right role model, it will help. It'll help you make those right decisions, those choices. The thing is, we need Christ as our role model. We, have a, we need to have a changed heart. And a changed heart, which leads to a change in behavior. 
And then our behaviour will show who we are imitating because our behaviour flows from a change in the heart. So I want to ask, so I want to leave you with this question. Are you behaving in the way the world expects you to behave? Or, or the way God expects you to behave? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time here. Thank you for the people here, the people who have came um, to listen to your word. I just pray, Lord, that, that you will come and change our hearts. That if the people here need to know, if they, if they see that, that they need to change their hearts, if they need to change their behaviors, Father, then, and Father, change our hearts. Holy Spirit, change our hearts. Come into their hearts now, Lord, and, and change them. Change them for you. Incline their hearts to you, Father, to your statutes. So whenever they go out of here, people can see a change in them, a change in behavior. Father, I just, just give you thanks and praise again. And I just pray, Lord, that, that you'll continue to talk to us throughout this week. That you're not far away, you're right beside us. You're just a couple of words away, Lord, and I just pray that um, you'll open their eyes to, to who you are, to the light, Lord. Just ask this in your holy name. Amen.